Hello, folks, and welcome to The Farm, a podcast dedicated to culture, parapolitics, and high weirdness in all its many forms. This is your host, Recluse, a.k.a. Stephen Snyder, the longtime curator of the Visa blog and author of the recently released A Special Relationship, Trump Epstein, and The Secret History of the Anglo-American Establishment. If you like what you hear here today, be sure to check me out at visaview.blogspot.com. That's V-I-S-U-P-V-I-E-W.blogspot.com. And procure a copy of that book and my other works at the Farm's official store, which is at the farmpodcast.store. That is the farmpodcast, all one word, dot store. And please consider signing up for the farm's Patreon. You get two additional full-length shows per month. That's between three and four hours of bonus material with exclusive guests and content. All right. Today's guest is back for round two on the farm. He holds a PhD in sociology from Stanford, specializing in political sociology. Professionally, he was a former senior civilian intelligence analyst with the Department of the Army, with an expertise in the former Soviet Union, the former Yugoslavia, and organized crime. In recent years, he's produced some incredibly scholarly works on the rise of the Christian right for academia. There you can find much of a three-part trilogy he's working on called The Christian Rights (coughs) Fourth Generation Warfare in America. He has also contributed to Political Research Associates and Salon, among others, and he is a founder of the blog CG's Street Reports. Folks, I give you guys the great James Scaminanti III. James, thank you so much for dropping by today, sir. Hey, thank you so much. That's a really uh, great, that's a great introduction, more than I would have done. (laughs) Well, you're very welcome, sir. It's always a pleasure to have you on. And uh, on that note, guys, today's show is going to be unbelievable. James is putting together a thesis that proposes that the Proud Boys and the Oath Keepers were engaged in a coordinated effort to storm the nation's capital on January 6th. He is going to take us through that today, explaining point by point why the assault was so successful and why it so strongly indicates a coordinated plan of attack on the part of both parties. Folks, this is a groundbreaking show, so do take note. All right, to start off with, let's talk some Oath Keepers for a moment. I had John Brisson in here to do a show on the Proud Boys last year, so my leaders, uh, re- listeners have some degree of familiarity with them. We haven't touched on the Oath Keepers yet, though I expect a full-length expose is in the near future. But for now, though, could you give us a quick rundown of this organization's history? Okay, so the Oath Keepers you know, come out of the Ron Paul presidential campaign. So Stuart Rhodes was a member of that campaign. He was doing, you know, he was doing something uh, with that campaign. But what what is in that campaign uh, is made obvious by Gary North, who was a Christian Reconstructionist uh, strategist, one of the leading Christian Reconstruction strategists, and Ron Paul. And they come up with a secret plan. It's not like I put secret in quotation marks. Um, I mean, he did publish it, but it wasn't like broadcast. And basically, it was to create um, the Tea Party movement. So this is like in 2008. They're talking about creating something in 2009. And part of that uh, comes out of uh, the Oath Keepers with with, um, uh, Stuart Rhodes. So Rhodes starts the uh, Oath Keepers, and he says, you know, that they're upholding the Constitution, they're going to defend the Constitution, Uh, they're walking hand in hand with the Founding Fathers, and um, part of that is he's working with uh, Richard Mack to set up the um, Constitutional Sheriffs and Peace Officers Association, that comes out of that as well. 
So what makes the Oath Keepers unique is that they openly recruit active duty military and law enforcement, police and sheriffs, and as well as veterans and, and, and uh, retired military and police. And their intent is to use these active duty people as chaos agents within these institutions. And they're hoping to leak out information from the police and military uh, in order to protect a state that wants to secede from the union. That's what it's all about. People go all on about what the new world order conspiracy theory and it's all conspiracy theories, but that's what Oath Keepers is about. They are about secession from the union and they wanna use active duty police and military as chaos agents to damage the operational security of those institutions. That's what the Oath Keepers are. And it's just so fascinating that they grew out of that Ron Paul 2008 presidential campaign as well. I know I'd mentioned to you earlier, but a lot of the uh, the early crypto guys, especially I think with Ethereum and maybe to some extent Bitcoin had also cut their teeth. So um, you see a lot of the, what have subsequently become the staples of the alt-right kind of uh, originating from that Ron Paul campaign. It's very interesting. Right. Yeah, the Ron Paul the Ron Paul campaign wasn't really a presidential campaign. It was a movement to create the infrastructure of a much larger movement later on. Yeah, no, that's definitely a great way to put it, uh, and it's obviously been quite successful, maybe disturbingly so. All right. So while both of these uh, organizations, the Proud Boys and the Oath Keepers, uh, they clearly have different approaches to combat. Uh, could you briefly address the differences in tactics that they employed? Yeah. Okay. So they are two very different organizations. The Proud Boys are street fighters. They're street brawlers. Okay. Um, they're the ones that are going to be in direct contact, direct conflict, physically with you know, Antifa in street battles, okay? Um, they're the right wing's heavy infantry. They've been described as the fighting arm or the fighting wing of the Republican Party. They provide security to Republican Party um, events. Uh, they have shown up, I think, to provide security for Roger Stone. So if you're a right winger and you wanna put fist to chin, the Proud Boys is the group that you would wanna join. Now, the Oath, Oath Keepers, Stuart Rhodes put the Oath Keepers in sort of a straitjacket because they have to be seen, at least up until January 6th, 2021, they have to be seen as upholding their oaths to defend the Constitution. So they can't be seen as doing something unconstitutional, like violating people's rights. So they come to these street balls with the, with the Proud Boys, who Stuart Rhodes has said he didn't consider the Proud Boys to be white nationalists or white supremacists or neo-Nazis. And in fact, he's, he mentioned Enrico, Enrique Tario and Joseph Biggs in, in that comment. So the Oath Keepers go to these street brawls and then they provide, you know, quote unquote, air quotes, security um, to protect, you know, the right, free right of speech. And in the meantime, they're on the side of the Proud Boys. Right. But they come there with their tactical equipment. They look tough. They have long barrel weapons and they're really in a position where they can't use the long barrel weapons because if they do so, it's going to be some degree of murder or manslaughter. So they're basically useless at the street fights, except to look tough. The Proud Boys, on the other hand, are tough. They're going to be smashing people and getting smashed back. So that's the difference in their fighting culture. 
and their and the military cult. So the, the 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 oath keepers are much more organizationally military like organization. Proud Boys is drinking club, you know, comes out of that that kind of that kind of culture. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, of course, the Oath Keepers had already um, really showed a, a quite an effective uh, ability to strategize as well with the, uh, was it the Bundy standoff, I believe, in 2012 mm-hmm. or 2013 or so. Um, yeah, it's just, it's really amazing, especially after that, that the organization was able to kind of fly under the radar for so long. Mm-hmm. All right, well, let's go over the command and the control structure used by the Proud Boys and the Oath Keepers during the Capitol riots. So we'll start with the Proud Boys. What kind of okay. communications were they using? Where was the command center and so forth? Okay, so let's let's put some facts out there. All right, so you don't think that I'm making it up. I mean, your readers aren't thinking I'm making it up. So the FBI put a fact out in a footnote. And they said, listen, um, there's a guy, uh, which they called uh, UCC-1, which was unindicted co-conspirator number one. And then another person they called person two. Not, not the same person that would be in the Oath Keepers person two, but person dash two. So they said these two people were off-site. They were not in the Capitol grounds. They were off-site, and they were monitoring all the communications that the Proud Boys had. Now, so what were the communications they were monitoring? Well, the Proud Boys established um, two telegram channels. So one telegram channel was called New M-O-S-D, which stood for New Ministry of Self-Defense. And that channel only had 10 or less people on it, okay? And this was, you know, five of those people were the inner core of the Proud Boys, okay? And inner core by me, Ethan um, uh, Nordian, uh, Joseph Biggs, um, Charles Donahue, Donahoe and uh, Zachary Real, and there might have been one, uh, might have been one or two more that were in the core. Tario had dropped out because he was arrested, so there's one more that goes unnamed, and then there, I think there are a few more that are added into that, uh, not into the MOSD, which is the leadership structure, but the new MOSD, which includes all the leaders plus a few other guys. So that's the leadership. So which means that. If you're Joseph Biggs in the Capitol building and you're communicating back to um, UCC1, the unindicted co-conspirator, you're using the leadership channel, right? Because you want to talk to somebody who's, you know, you don't want to have, you know, 50 guys on the channel comment. So then the second channel they create, and this is for everybody, everybody meaning all, all the Proud Boys, they call it boots on the ground. Right. So this has all the leadership on it because they got to hear what's going on and all the rest of the Proud Boys. So that's a channel that's being monitored in what I call what you know, the FBI says an external site. I call it the Tactical Operations Center because that's what it is. You're managing all the all, all the all the communications over coming in from the operators. So that's two channels. Then they have I think the pronunciation is Baofeng radios you know, small power radios. Um, they, they distributed some of those to the Proud Boy leaders. So they're probably monitoring that. 
Um, they're monitoring a Zello channel, but they don't give a name for the Zello channel and they don't give any Zello data uh, of what they communicated. So th there's that channel that they're monitoring. And then there are a number of uh, Proud Boys who are inside the Capitol who are uploading videos, live videos. So it stands to reason that UCC one and person two in this Proud Boys Tactical Operations Center, they're also looking at those videos. So they can see in almost real time uh, what's happening, you know, on the ground. So that's that channel. That's what they're doing. And, and the FBI says they were operating externally. So they have their own tactical operations center. Now, the Oath Keepers, we know, the FBI has said, they had a quick reaction force at a hotel in Arlington, Virginia. They don't say where Person 10 actually was. Now, Person 10 had been designated by Stuart Rhodes to be in overall command of the Oath Keepers on January 6th, right? Well, we don't know where he is until sometime after four o'clock, the FBI says, oh, he was standing about 100 feet from the Capitol with Stuart Rhodes with all the other Oath Keepers, and they were just uh, doing a grip and grin, you know, chuckling about what they had just done. Now, the Oath Keepers, they have a number of channels. They have one channel, which is real channel, and that is a signal channel which is called DC Op Jan 621, right? And they use this signal channel before the operation, during the operation, and immediately after the operation, okay? So it's an encrypted channel, and they're talking on that one. And that's real communications. Then you have Jessica Watkins using a Zello channel, and I can't remember the name of the channel, but it's not a real channel. She's not communicating any real kind of data, okay? It's just meant to disinform people who are listening to the channel. And that's obvious of what it is. So basically they have signal and they may have had some uploading of videos that they're monitoring, but we don't know where person 10 was during the day. Now, I think later on, you know, the question I, I put is, I think person 10 is either in the Proud Boys Tactical Operations Center or he's monitoring the new MOSG signal channel, uh, telegram channel, right? excuse me, telegram channel. So you're saying that you think that the Oath Keepers had effectively set up this, what was it, Zello station, uh, effectively to spread disinformation more or less? Yes. The, the Zello, the, the Jello is, uh, I almost said Jello. Um, the Zello channel is for disinformation. And here's how I came about this, okay, uh, and I and I put this in the in the section where I talk about transient three. So, Christian Trebert, okay, so Christian Trebert of the New York Times, using a CNN video, says at twelve fifty three, um, which is the exact moment, and this is you know Trebert's words, the exact moment when the attack begins on the west side of the Capitol with the Proud Boys. The Oath Keepers get up and they get led out by a guy that's the FBI identifies as number 228 and they're heading towards the Capitol. OK, so we know that number 228 is at the Capitol at, four, at two o'clock because he's on a video. Somebody captures him on a video at two o'clock. So he made it there. So Christian Trebert goes at 206. The Oath Keepers are still two blocks away. All right. 
It can't be true. It can't be true because when Watkins says on Zillow, we're two blocks away from the Capitol, that is following an earlier broadcast on Zello in which the person says, hey, they've broken into the Capitol. And that happens at 1412, 1414, something like that. Depends on what you're listening to. You know, that's that's when it happens. Okay. So if that's the case, when 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 Watkins says we're two blocks away and that comes after 1412, it, it can't be, it can't be true that it's at 1406 which is what Trebert says it is because he's looking at a video. It's all a disinformation game. I don't know if the video videographer is in on it or not, but it's not possible because if Trebert's correct that they left at 1253, I Googled it and it only takes you 36 minutes to go from the middle of the eclipse to the back of the, to the back of the Capitol on the, on the East side, 36 minutes at 206. That means the Oath Keepers have been walking for 76 minutes, which means they're basically on two crutches. I mean, it makes it makes no sense to believe that it takes them that long, and it makes no sense to say for for Watkins to 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 claim it that it's true that at two oh six they're two blocks away from the from the from the Capitol, and you can see the Capitol dome. But there's a lot of people in front of me say, "Wait, so wait a minute." So at at two thirty five they get they formed up and they get in the stack and they walk up the they walk up the stairs, and at two forty they're in the Capitol building, and at two oh six they were two blocks away. With a mob in front of it, it just makes no sense. And I and I go, look, it's all disinformation. You believe what you want to believe, but you know, her lawyer, Watkins's lawyer, goes into court and under penalty of getting, you know, perjury or whatever, you know, he says, Hey, it took my client 40 minutes. And guess what? He goes, I didn't get that 40 minutes from 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 my client or from me. The government told me it took her 40 minutes to get there. So if it took if the government says it took her 40 minutes to get there. And he goes in a, in a court filing, he goes, the government told me it took her 40 minutes to get there. Well, it took her 40 minutes to get there, thereabouts. It certainly didn't take her 76 minutes and leave her two blocks away at 2.06 from the Capitol. So, you know, all, I, all I've said in my paper is, look, you can believe what you want to believe. You can believe Treber in that video. You can believe the Zello thing. But if you do, you gotta, you, you, you're really just barking down the wrong barking at the wrong tree. This is all disinformation from Watkins. In your estimation, like how significant were these encryption apps like Telegram and Signal to all of this? Well, they're really significant because, you know, they're, they're encrypted. They're, they're encrypted end to end. Now, I've, I've used Signal a couple of times talking to people, you know, and then you destroy the, the conversation afterwards so that nobody knows what you're talking about. But uh, it's really important. It, it means that you have a sense of confidence that you can, you can communicate some, some, some facts, um, some intentions uh, with confidence that it's not being uh, read by people that you don't want it to read. Yeah, no, it is kind of fascinating how the technology, I mean, really in a lot of ways played such a significant uh, role in all of this. Um, I mean, in a sense, would you almost describe this assault as kind of like uh, a version of hybrid warfare? Uh, Well, that makes it a little complicated, hybrid warfare. Certainly is part of it. I mean, you know, one of the things I go at the end of the paper, and I don't go into it because it's, 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 um, it's too difficult, put it that way. And there are other people doing it. Like Seth Abramson is covering what else was going on. And so the, the military operation to assault the Capitol is really the end point of a much larger conspiracy that starts with Donald Trump. 
who wants to stop the electoral count, wants to stop this, what he calls stop the steal. It's part of a much larger uh, conspiracy involving Donald Trump, Donald Trump's campaign, um, organizations set up to mobilize and amass and move the MAGA crowd um, from the ellipse to, to, to the Capitol. So what the Oath Keepers and, and Proud Boys are doing is the end point. It's not where, it's the end point of where the conspiracy stops. It's not where the conspiracy started. Right. So, in that sense, so in that sense, it might be hybrid warfare. Okay, okay. Well, no, that's a, a very elegant explanation. All right. So, uh, getting back to the Proud Boys for a moment, can you go into their uh, efforts to do recon prior to the protests? Mm -hmm. Okay. So, I got the recon, and and I think that's Figure Fifteen. I think you're going to put that on your website, right? Uh, yes, sir. All the uh, images of graphs that you sent when we put up. Yeah. So I think that's it. That's image 50. So I went to, you know, Insurgent Hunter did a great job of uh, putting on January 6th evidence. I think that's a website. I think it's Jan 6 evidence. But he put on he put on all of Eddie Block's um, videos segments. And of course, they have a stop and a start time. So I use the Eddie Block start and stop times and description of where they were to put together what the reconnaissance march was. So we know from the Telegram channel that on the evening of 5 January, the Proud Boys were told, be at the Washington Monument 10 o'clock, do not wear colors, be incognito, okay? Be decentralized, be incognito, be there at 10 o'clock. So they show up at 10 o'clock. There's some kind of brief meeting at the Washington Monument, and then they walk from the Washington Monument to Union Square, which is on the western side of the Capitol. And they're there. They walk um, a little ways, and they come back, and, they, and eventually they end up at the Peace Monument, which is um, the Pennsylvania Walkway, I think. And that is they get to look at Transient One. Okay, so this is before the attack. They get to see what transient one looks like. They get to see that the barrier is only a plastic barrier, you know, a little scotch tape or, you know, plastic tape. And then the first barrier is going to be two or three UCS police people, right? And, and then they can look further on. They can see what the Capitol on the west side looks like. And if, you know, Nordian or Biggs or somebody pointed out, they can say, look, you see on the left-hand side of the Capitol where there's another sort of scaffolding? Hey, underneath that scaffolding is the stairs to the northwest stairs, and that's going up to the northwest courtyard, and that's transient too. So, as they're walking around, they see what transient one looks like, what the defenses look like. They get to see where transient two is. Then they walk down Constitution Avenue. They go to the east side. They walk along the lawn. They stop at the, at the plaza. And now they can see what the central steps look like. And that's transient three, where the Proud Boys are going to be waiting to get in with the MAGA mob through the Columbus doors and into the rotunda where they can just make a dash into the Senate. So this reconnaissance march that Eddie Block shows is not just them walking around, jibber-jabbering, talking. They're actually looking at what do the defenses look like? And on the east side of the Capitol, the defenses are thin. All they got is a bicycle rack and a few policemen. That's it. There isn't much there. 
Then they go and they, they, they go to the food trucks and Joe Biggs is eating and a bunch of other guys are eating. They're having a good time. They walk back down Constitution Avenue, stop again at the Peace Monument, which is Transient 1 at 1253. They, they go through the first tape. At 1255, they've knocked out, and, and they not being the Proud Boys, but Ryan Samsel has allegedly knocked out uh, the first Capitol Police officer. And uh, you know, a few minutes later, they're going through the barriers and they're running up against the first police line at the lower West Plaza steps. So that's the reconnaissance march. They get to look at everything that was going to happen before it happened. They get to see what the reaction is. I mean, Trump is still speaking at this time or not even speaking. You know, the rally's still going on. So they get to see if, you know, if you see 200 Proud Boy guys, there's 200 guys, right, coming up on you. What's the reaction of the police at, at the first checkpoint? Did they, did they react? Did they get on their radio? They didn't do anything? No, they probably just looked at them and, and, and did what they did. So they did a reconnaissance march. They looked, they saw what the defenses were. They could tell people, this is transient one, this is transient two, this is transient three. And then they did the attack. Now, do you have a, it was the transient three that was the one that was poorly defended, you were saying? Yeah, transient three is on the backside. It's on the east side of the Capitol. And the... Um, do you have like a theory as to why it would be so vulnerable or left? Well, over? because because it's it's facing it's it, it's facing away from the mob. OK. And, you know, the Capitol, apparently there weren't a lot of Capitol Police. Um, and by the time, you know, before the before the march, there's just a few back there. It's not undefended. I mean, it is defended by some police, but it's not as heavily defended as on the west side, which is the one facing um, the, the ellipse and where the MAGA crowd is going to come from. So they prepared, they prepared, they're prepared to meet the MAGA crowd. Okay. Um, let's go to the Oath Keepers here for a minute. Yeah. Now, allegedly they did no recon of their own, which uh, struck you as quite peculiar. Uh, could you get into that for a moment? Yeah. So the Oath Keepers on January 5th, they have about six to eight of them. I think the New York Times says six, but I think it's more like eight because they have at least two golf carts. They carry four people. And I saw a photograph. They had they had eight people uh, on the golf carts, although one of them might not have been an Oath Keeper. So you have like six guys on these on these go karts on January 5th, and they're doing security for 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 Roger Stone. Right. The rest of the Oath Keepers, what are they doing on January 5th? Nobody knows. Did they do reconnaissance on January? What would, what would be the point? You're not going to be, be able to really see anything on January 5th. So on January 6th, the Oath Keepers get up. Presumably they have breakfast, brush their teeth, and they're, and, they're, and they're at the ellipse listening to these mindless speeches. And then they get up uh, at 1253, you know, number 228 leads them on their on their march to the to the to the capital deposits them on the east side of the capital they've never looked at the place they've never they've never apparently been there and, and that's what they're going to do with our operation what military does that I, i've never i've never been in a military unit that hasn't looked at what the heck is going on before they get there yes it's uh it's very strange uh, now, you've argued that the Proud Boys were behind the initial assault on the Capitol uh, that resulted in the breach. Uh, do you have any more details to add to that and how they managed it? How they managed the, the breach on Transient 1? Yeah, yes. Okay, so they're at the Peace Monument, and they get there about 1254, I think, or something like that. It's 
1255, whatever. I mean, the, the assault comes at 1253. Okay, so it's got to be fun. All right, so at 1253, they walk past the plastic tape that's keeping the crowd out. At 1255, Ryan Samso, they finally meet the first bike rack. He knocks out a, US, a UCSP officer. Um, she's got a concussion. Uh, the other two officers are overrun. The MAGA crowd is behind them. They get to the next barrier, which is now the third barrier, and that's just bicycle racks. And William Pepe of the Proud Boys, and I think it's Dominic Pozzola of the Proud Boys, they're pushing the, um, the uh, bike racks out of the way. The MAGA crowd is going with them. The MAGA crowd is going down the other walkway, the Maryland walkway towards the Western Steps. And they all meet at the West, Lower Western Steps. And that's within about two minutes, like 12.57. They're at the Western Plaza Steps where they meet the first line of UCSP officers. Now, the Proud Boys, uh, you know, I, I, I said, I wrote this, you know, in a, in a comment for you, that they were careful that they didn't punch out any of the police. Um, they didn't assault any of the police. In fact, I don't recall anybody, I don't recall charges for actually assaulting the police. They, there might have been, but I don't really see them assaulting the police. If you watch the videos, on Transient One, they are inciting the crowd. They are trying to enrage the crowd to fight. And Ryan Samso shows up a couple of times inciting the crowd. As soon as the crowd gets angry, he pulls back. And then the police are confronting the MAGA folks. So what they're trying to do is simply enrage the crowd to attack the police and engage the police. They need all the police forces engaged on those Western steps and fighting them all the way up. Not because the Proud Boys are gonna be there, because they're not. None of the Proud Boys are gonna be with that crowd as they're fighting their way in to the Capitol building. The Proud Boys slide off of that to the Northwestern steps under the, under the Northwest scaffolding. And they breach that, they go through the courtyard, and then there's Dominic Bazola, and not you know a minute behind him uh, is Joseph Biggs, uh, of you know, the leader, one of the leaders of the Proud Boys, and he's smashing his way into the building. So by four, you know, by 1412, he's smashing the window. By 1413, Pozzola is in. And by 1414, Biggs is in. He's walking through a door that's been smashed open. And if you look at some other videos, by about 1415, maybe 1416, sometime like that, don't you see Dominic Pozzola walking, you know, in the Senate um, office that he's been following the shaman idiot and who's following Officer Goodman to oblivion? So it's very, it's a, that, that's how the attack happens. Now, with the Oath Keepers, you've already gone over how they uh, marched back from the Ellipse uh, speech, whatever, same thing, that they were a uh, Bund rally. Um, now, it's been described pretty universally that they were in what is known as a stack formation. Um, could you just go over first what a stack formation is right quick? Yeah, a stack formation is either used by the military or it's used by the police, in which um, the personnel are lined up one behind the other. And usually it's for traversing a wall. You know, if you're going to be traveling along a wall, you put everybody in a single file. Or if you're going to breach a room. And so you'd have one guy has 
his rifle pointing to, to the right, another guy's rifle pointing to the left, uh, if you're breaching a room. So you have, you can sort of cover each other and, and that's basically a stack formation, okay? It's just a single line moving in, in, in some direction. Now, the Oath Keepers don't have weapons, so they put each other's, they put a hand on each other's shoulder so that they could get through this crowd without losing anybody. And that's that was a stack formation. All right, so, um, okay, the Oath Keepers, you know, they're all kitted out in their paramilitary uh, equipment and what have you. So what is it you see their role is uh, ultimately being in all of this? Okay, so they march from the ellipse, deposit themselves about 240 or, no, um, about 1340 on the east side, and they're just waiting for the breach of the Columbus doors. And once they get into the Columbus doors at 240, and they just walk it, okay, um, the, the doors are open from the inside, and they just walk in. And the Proud Boys, Joe Biggs, and two other guys are, are in front of them. They walk in, and the first thing they do is they're going to the Senate, to the Senate chamber. That was their, 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 their intention. And so I think what they were going to do was to arrest some senators, if not Mike Pence. That's what I think they were going to do. I mean, that's why they were going to the Senate. And I want your readers, I mean, not your readers, your, your listeners to understand how close to a disaster this really came for the federal government or how much, uh, how close Donald Trump came to a victory. Okay. So Joe Biggs and the Proud Boys break in on the Northwest door, right? windows and door and they're in there by 1414 and Pozzola is climbing the stairs following officer Goodman he gets to the top of the stairs and that's like about 1415 maybe 1416 who knows but they're still in session okay if Pozzola goes to the right doesn't follow officer Goodman to the left if he goes to the right and he takes the crowd with him and he goes hey don't follow him, man. Follow me. He's got two or 300 MAGA folks walking into the open chamber, open Senate chamber doors with the vice president of the United States in holding, holding session with all the 100 senators there on national TV and Donald Trump watching. Can you imagine what the scene is at about 14, 15, 14, 16? 300 MAGA people in the Senate chamber. And then if you imagine what Joe Big should have done is if he had gone immediately with some Proud Boys to open up the Columbus doors, the Oath Keepers and the MAGA crowd on Transient 3 are in and the Oath Keepers are on the way to the Senate as well, along with 300 you know, MAGA crowd that's already in there. We have a disaster on our hands. And it's only because the Proud Boys made a couple of mistakes that Donald Trump isn't sitting uh, in the White House 
watching television, he could have been seeing the Proud Boys inside the Senate chamber at about 1415 and the Oath Keepers coming soon thereafter and beating up, arresting and condemning the Senate for installing a, a, a Joe Biden Chinese communist puppet government. That's how close this came to a disaster, only because of a couple of tactical mistakes. Do you think uh, Officer Goodwin was uh, trying to mislead the Proud Boys in the direction he was taking? Oh, absolutely. Officer Goodman, Officer Goodman should get the, um, the Congressional Medal of Honor. Okay, <laughs> he he leads that crowd away from an open Senate chamber and allows enough time for the senators to get. And at that point, when the senators get out of the Senate chamber, and of course, they can't, the other crowd can't break through the speaker's lobby doors, and Ashley Babbitt gets shot trying to climb through the window, essentially, Donald Trump and the Oath Keepers and Proud Boys and the MAGA crowd have lost. But that's because Officer Goodman led the crowd away from the open Senate chamber where all the senators and Vice President Pence were. Because if, they, if the crowd goes right, they don't believe Officer Goodman, they go right. Pozzola leads 300 people into that Senate chamber. You have chaos on national television. Wow, yeah, that is uh, certainly a chilling thought to think of. Um, yeah, I mean, think of the dynamic. Think of the dynamic that changes with that event, okay? Yeah. Donald Trump is sitting in the White House. Is he going to tweet now, oh, you guys ought to go home and be peaceful? Or is he going to say, my goodness, I am on the verge of victory. I am on the urge of actually overthrowing the government I had. Yeah, I mean, it's it's pretty incredible, I mean, to see that we were potentially And what's going to be the reaction of the police when you say, hey, we got 300 MAGA people in the Senate chamber and they're clubbing, they're clubbing senators. You, it changes the entire dynamic of the entire battle. I mean, with that have, one mistake. I mean, it would have massively escalated the violence too. No Absolutely. doubt. Absolutely. Can you imagine the Secret Service? They could open fire mm -hmm. on national television. And that, I mean, almost arguably could have had blowback for the uh, the security forces. I mean, it could Absolutely. Have seen as another Absolutely. One mistake by Dominic Pazola, for whatever reason, who knows? One mistake by Dominic Pozzola and one really tremendous act by Officer Goodman saved the day. All right. Now, uh, one of the really interesting things I found in your analysis uh, was the comparisons you made uh, to the battle plan used by the Oath Keepers and the Proud Boys to one that was, uh, I guess, pioneered initially at the, what was it, the Battle of the... The Lucrata. Lucrata. Okay, which was fought between Thebes and Sparta in 371 BC. <laughs> uh, I always love it when people go back to um, ancient history. Uh, so what were the, uh, the comparisons that you saw? Okay, so the, in the initial comparison is it just shows what a single envelopment attack looks like. Okay, and, and basically it's like, it's like throwing a left hook at somebody. Okay, instead of a jab. So in this battle, the Thebians are outnumbered two to one, right? So the Thebian commander, he, he thins out his right flank and his center and puts his best troops and more troops on his left flank. And what really makes the battle notable isn't 
this, the single envelopment. But what makes the battle notable is the unequal distribution of forces. He puts strength against weakness, okay? And that allows him to punch through the Spartan forces, turn right and attack the Spartan forces from behind. That's the single envelopment. But what's really known is for the unequal distribution of power, of forces. And that's what the Proud Boys did. And even the Oath Keepers, but the Proud Boys did it. They put, they got all that MAGA mob heading and rushing into the USCP police and the, and the MPD police on the Western Plaza. The police are just completely focused on this mob and keeping them off the plaza steps. The Oath Keepers slide about 50 feet, 100 feet. They're on the Northwest steps. They overwhelm the police that were on the steps. In fact, there's a police commander, the Washington Post has it. He's telling them, he's telling the police to get off the steps. They know they've been outflanked. They've been, they're, they're gone. They're, they're toast. And they're into, the, they're, they, it's strength against weakness. They're into the Northwest quarter. And you can hear it on the police communications. You can see it on any video you want to watch. That's what happens. So that's why I put, I put that, that battle up just so you can see that this is they didn't come up with something new this is really really old and to give you an idea how it was used for example john that comes from john boyd's um briefing on a discourse on winning and losing okay john boyd is probably the consultant to the department of defense for the first persian gulf war he's the one that comes up with the, the schwarzkopf plan Okay, and what's the Schwarzkopf plan? The Schwarzkopf plan is you make the you make the Iraqis look like you're going to invade through Kuwait and run right into all their berms and Republican guard units. You know, you're going to be do the stupid thing. So he makes the Republican he makes the Iraqis think he's going to do that. Then he he makes the Iraqis think that there's a marine amphibious landing that's going to happen, which never happens. And what does he do? He puts all his forces on the left flank. They pierce berms that, that have basically nobody there, and they come around the Iraqis and slaughter them. And in 100 hours, the Republican guards have been reduced to shooting fish in a barrel. And that's, that's what the battle was. And it comes from, you know, John Boyd knows where this thing comes from. These are old battle tactics. All you got to do is know what the heck you're doing. Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, it's really amazing. Now, um, how about Stuart Rhodes, uh, the Oath Keeper head? Uh, you believe he was involved in the activities of the Oath Keepers present at the Capitol that day, correct? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oath, Stuart Rhodes is, is heavily involved, deeply involved uh, in the entire operation. Um, and, and that goes back to November. Okay? That goes back to November. In, back in November, he's talking about the Oath Keepers are going to show up at the first rally in December. I mean, first rally in November, right? Stop the steel rally. And he's already talking about bringing a quick reaction force to DC, right? They get there, they do the grip and grin. And, you know, he probably, he, I think he met Enrique Tarrio there. I certainly did. Um, he probably met some other people there. Michael Flynn's there. Uh, Roberta Menuda, who guards um, Roger Stone on January 5th, uh, is guarding uh, Michael Flynn on in November. Okay, so this this one meeting is Rhodes is this one rally in November. Rhodes is heavily involved in. Rhodes is heavily involved in the December meeting 
uh, rally in, 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 in DC. And that's where Roberto Menudo, uh, Menudo sorry, um, uh, has a photograph taken with, Enrique, with uh, Dominic Mazzola and Enrique Tario um, blasts it out on, on Twitter, and he calls Dominic Pozzola and uh, Roberto Menuda, who's actually wearing a Proud Boy shirt in the photograph, um, the Lords of War. And Menuda responds on Twitter and goes, hey, thanks, man. See you January 6th. Okay, so Rhodes is deeply involved in this. He's involved in the whole thing. He's involved in the quick reaction force that shows up on January 6th. He's the one that appoints the ground commander, which is person 10. He's also uh, involved in, 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 in calling Roberto Menuda before the attack and after the attack, but certainly before the attack. He's also talking to um, Kelly Meggs during the attack. They exchange a number of phone calls. Megs is the head of the uh, of the stack, right? So, uh, what's his name? Stuart Rhodes is heavily involved in this. He's telling you know, he's telling the Oath Keepers at one point, um, you know, uh, come to the south southeast side, you know, and he sends a photograph, which it makes no tactical sense because everybody was on the central steps anyway. So, you know, Rhodes is doing his incompetent self, but he's heavily involved in this. I'm, I'm surprised that he hasn't been indicted yet, but I, I would fully expect him to be indicted. Fully expect him. Now, reading your analysis, I'm left with the uh, distinct impression that the uh, principal purpose of the Proud Boys was to provide a diversion, clearing the way for the more elite Oath Keepers to attack the Capitol at one of its more vulnerable points, well, arguably its most vulnerable. Is that what you're trying to convey? So does this indicate I, that the Oath I, I think I gave, I, you know, I think in an earlier version, I think I, I may have given you a, uh, a misimpression, and I didn't mean to. Okay. Uh, I, I went back and I started looking at the data, okay? And the first time I the first time I looked at the data, I was looking at the data like Marcy Wheeler was looking at the data that this was just coordination, right? The Proud Boys and the Oath Keepers had coordinated, and it looked like it had been initiated by the Oath Keepers. But then I started looking at what Kelly Meggs, who was the commander of the, the Oath Keepers stack, and he eventually becomes the Florida chapter head of Oath Keepers. What did he actually say? And here's what he actually says. Now, he's on Facebook, and I assume that these are Facebook messenger messages. And he's talking to one or two or three um, very trusted people because he's giving away secrets. Okay, at this point, once you know what the attack looks like, he's giving away secrets. So he says, and this is point blank, he goes, I organized an alliance with, or no, I organized an alliance between Oath Keepers, Florida Three Percenters, and the Proud Boys. And he goes, we're going to work together and we're going to shut this shit down. That's a quote from Megs to somebody. Then Megs says, we have organized, uh, orchestrated, sorry, we have orchestrated a plan with the Proud Boys. And the next sentence was, I was talking to, and they redacted the name, but it's Enrique Tario, the head of the Proud Boys. So the question is, in the filing where Meg says, we have orchestrated a plan with 
the Proud Boys, the FBI and the Department of Justice say this is coordination. And Marcy Wheeler says it's coordination. But if you actually look at the definition of orchestrate, it doesn't mean coordination. To orchestrate something means in a musical sense to come up with a musical score or a musical composition that is ready to be played. It's a final product. It's not coordination. It's a final product. And what he says is we orchestrated a plan with the Proud Boys, which means the Proud Boys, Enrique Taurio, uh, certainly Kelly Meggs, and probably other Oath Keepers who know more about military strategy than Kelly Meggs, because Kelly Meggs has never been, a, never been in the military, orchestrated this plan. It's a joint plan, and they jointly executed. And that's what I argue in my paper. That's what Kelly Meggs says. We orchestrated a plan. In plain English, he says that. It's not coordination. It's a joint plan. Working together is a joint execution. Well, that was kind of uh, what I was uh, getting at. It just, it doesn't seem like the Proud Boys would have had the, um, the military expertise by themselves to come up with something like this. Yeah, you know, they come out of two different cultures. Okay, you know, we, we started the discussion. The Proud Boys come out of two different cultures. Now, Joseph Biggs is, is a sergeant, was a sergeant in the army, I think. And, and there are probably some other uh, Proud Boys who have been in the military, you know, enlisted as well. Uh, almost all the Oath Keepers are enlisted. There's not, there's not like a single officer among them, from what I can gather. Um, they're all enlisted. So they come up with this plan. I mean, Kelly Meg says we orchestrated a plan. In plain English, it means we came up with a final product, meaning a plan that we're going to execute with the Proud Boys. And they do. If you look at it, I mean, I, I remember watching the attack, you know, on, on national television. I'm not you know, monitoring parlor or, you know, any kind of video. I'm just watching, you know, MSNBC or CNN. And immediately I, I see the crowd and I see this thing. And, and, I, and I said on Twitter, the, the MAGA crowd is just a cover for the real, real attack. And it wasn't that I had like, uh, you know, I knew what the heck was going. I, I, I didn't know the plan, but I, I come out of military intelligence. We get paid to see things that people don't want us to see. And it's, it was clearly obvious that the real attack was not was not the MAGA crowd. The real attack was something else. Now, in your estimation, um, were the defenses at the Capitol on that day adequate? I mean, because I was, you know, already concerned about this rally. I mean, pretty much I think a day after it was announced, it seemed like that, um, you know, there was something planned for this. You know, here's I'll be a little contrarian. All right. I looked at the videos. Now, I didn't look at every single video, but I looked at some really long videos of the time from, you know, when they first come into contact on the Lower West Steps. Um, so I looked at two or three videos, long videos, and I came to the conclusion that if it had not been for the Proud Boys inciting this crowd, the MAGA people would have been happy to simply scream at the police. Yes, but there and there were a few people that, that were that got into pushing matches with the police and stuff like that, and it certainly escalated from from a verbal confrontation to pushes to picking up bike racks and ramming the police with the bike racks, um, to 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 using bear spray, 
Okay. Uh, and then uh, eventually, you know, using clubs to beat the police while they're, while they're laying on the ground. So there's certainly an escalation. But if you look at like the first 50 minutes, you know, insurgent hunter, when he was doing his timeline, goes, there's a lull, you know, for about 50 minutes. And I thought, okay, what is insurgent hunter talking about? He must be crazy. There's a lull. But I look at the videos and sure enough, they're just screaming at the police. It's the it's the Proud Boys inciting that crowd, getting that crowd to 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 provoke the police into an attack, you know, ramming the police with the bike racks and this stuff. And if you look at this one guy, Quaglin, I think his name is Christopher Quaglin. He is is involved in like three or four fights, right, with with the police. And he's indicted for three or four fights. But every time he's 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 involved in a fight, there is a proud boy close to him. It's either Joseph Biggs or uh, Ethan Nordian or or a a guy. I can't remember the first name, but his last name is Brew. It's like three or four proud boys around this guy every time he's fighting. And so it's unclear whether they're inciting him to fight, you know, enraging him to fight or he's coordinated with the proud boys. But the proud boys are certainly getting this crowd riled up and, and, and inflaming this crowd to really get on it. And we, you know, and the problem is the proud boys go there incognito. They're not wearing their black and yellow shirts. So we don't know if the people on the megaphones yelling the crowd to go, 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 you know, get there, you know, uh, come on, let's get in there. It's our house. We don't know if those are proud boys yelling on those, on those megaphones because they're not in Proud Boy colors. We have no idea how many Proud Boys are there. I, the FBI says, well, there were at least 60 people on the Proud Boys on this Boots on the Ground channel. But you look at, you look at the photograph taken by John Cherry on the, on, the, on the Eastern side, where they're all growling, you know, Joe Biggs is doing his, you know, big bear uh, growl uh, for the camera. And there's like 200 Proud Boys there. We have no idea how many Proud Boys are there. We have no idea what they're doing. So it seems like they were they were the instigators of, of, of getting the crowd riled up. But I mean, I guess from my perspective, though, I mean, I could see with what they were doing being adequate if you were dealing with like Antifa or, you know, Black Lives Matter or something. But I mean, when you get into some of these fringe right wing groups, you have a lot of people that have military experience and probably. So so here's the point I was going to make. Okay, Uh, the contrary point is that if you take away the Proud Boys. Right. If you take away the Proud Boys instigating that crowd. I think the MAGA crowd is just going to yell and scream at the police. Because most of them are hesitant to hit the police. Most of them are hesitant to do anything with the police. They're screaming at the police. That's all they're doing. Some of them, you you look at some of the MAGA folks are actually talking in a calm voice with the police. And the police are having a little conversation with them. So... In, in one sense, you could argue that even though the, 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 the Capitol Police mis, uh, underestimated the size of the crowd that was coming, um, what, they really, what they really misunderestimated uh, was how angry the Proud Boys were going to make this crowd. Because if it's not for the Proud Boys, I think the MAGA folks are just screaming and yelling at them and the 200 
200 US UCSP cops uh, out on the street, uh, you know, out on the steps are more than adequate enough to, to, to control people that are screaming at them. Well, yeah, no, I mean, I understand that. I guess that what I'm trying to get at, though, is, I mean, groups like the Oath Keepers and Proud Boys have been kind of telegraphing arguably since November that they were, you know, kind of looking for a fight, so to speak. Well, I mean, is that kind of something that should have maybe been factored in when they were making the security assessment that you do have these groups that have? Oh, absolutely. I mean, absolutely. I mean, they, I mean, they had the intelligence estimate that, you know, people were really, really angry. Um and 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 they needed to beef up security. There's no doubt about that. I'm not saying they shouldn't have done it, but what I'm saying is that, you know, the, the, the I think the Washington Post estimated that there was something like about twelve thousand, maybe eleven thousand to thirteen thousand people there, right? At any at any one point, I think they put nine thousand on one side and two thousand on the other, so they got eleven thousand, right? And then the Washington Post or, or the New York Times said well, only about eight hundred people went into the building, right? So let's say that's like less than ten percent of the crowd went into the building, right? Is my math wrong? No, that sounds about right. Sounds about right, right? So about ten percent of the people went into the building. Most of the people in the building. Walking around, you look at the videos, they're walking around like tourists, they're mega tourists. Who do you see? Who do you see that, that are actually doing anything? Are people who are true believers, the Proud Boys, the Oath Keepers, um, the QAnon people? How many? So, out of the 800 or let's say a thousand people got into the Capitol building, how many were actually there on a mission to actually do anything? The Oath Keepers, Proud Boys, some QAnon people, maybe 200 at most. The MAGA crowd was the diversion that they needed, that these 200 people needed to pull off their mission. So the uh, January 6th rally uh, was announced shortly after that, um, I believe that highly controversial meeting in the Oval Office with uh, Sidney Powell and allegedly Michael Flynn. Um, so to wrap up, I, I don't mean to put you in the spot, but I was just curious if you maybe had any thoughts about uh, the strange series of events involving General Charles Flynn on January 6th. I, you know, I don't want to impugn his integrity as a, as a military officer without evidence, okay? I think the military planning is strange. And I'll just leave it at that, okay? Um, I think there's a lot more to be, to be known. For example, you know, when the Congress had hearings, um, the military sent a person who didn't know anything. The only thing they knew is what was on a piece of paper. They were not a, a party to any of it. So you don't get General Miley, you don't get the head of plans, you don't get the Secretary of Defense, uh, you know, actually talking about stuff. Um, uh, so what I do, do think, I, I think Marcy Wheeler and Seth Abramson are correct that it's one thing to look at the attack on January 6th, but you have to look at how Donald Trump and probably, you know, people around him in the campaign um, orchestrated the rally for January 6th, to get the rally, to get people to the rally, to get them riled up at the rally, to march them from the ellipse to the Capitol 
to where they would be enraged by the Proud Boys and get into the building. But I don't want to impugn, um, you know, General Flynn and the rest of the Army staff because we don't. I don't know enough, and I don't think the Congress knows enough about what the Army staff was actually doing and what the DC staff was doing. And in fact, you know, in terms of getting things done, everybody has fallen all over themselves praising General Walker of the DC National Guard. But if you, I I, I watched and I, and I, and then I read his his briefing to the Congress on March 3rd, he's incompetent as hell. He's just absolutely incompetent. Really? Oh, yeah. That's very interesting. Um, well, well consider this. I mean, you know, they make a distinction between being mobilized and being um, deployed, right? So mobilized, you get to call everybody in, right? And then mobilized, you get to actually leave and do something. So General Walker, what he wants you to believe is that he was so concerned um, you know, he gets this mobilization that he can mobilize people. And so he calls up everybody in the National Guard. And the only people that show up at five o'clock are 154 people who were already there. Everybody who showed up in the National Guard at five o'clock were already on duty. He already told the Congress that, look, I had 140 um, National Guard people out on the street helping the, uh, helping the Metropolitan Police do traffic control. I had another 40 people on a quick reaction force at Fort Andrews who would have helped the traffic control people. So he had 180 people, right? And then he had another 140 people who were supposed to relieve or assist the 140 people already doing traffic control. At five o'clock at night, when the National Guard finally shows up at the Capitol, the Army says 154 people were there. That's even less than what he started with. Now, if that's not an incompetent general, I don't know what is. Yeah, that's that's amazing. Um, so how about uh, Christopher C. Miller in all of this? I mean, I'm under the understanding of the secretary of the intern secretary of defense. I'm under the understanding that he may have served in the intelligence support activity during the uh, the early knots. So he did potentially encounter Michael Flynn and Joint Special Operations Command, I believe. Look, look, there's a lot that the Congress does not know about what went on with the Army staff planning. They just don't know it. And they're going to have to get the, the people who were actually involved in the decision-making to testify under oath of what really went on. And they're going to have to get documents and emails and phone records and, and, and other participants other than the principals, you know, the, 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 the action officers that were in the room, the action officers moving the paperwork. You know, it, it, it's quite an... If you understand how the Pentagon works, there's a lot of paperwork, there's a lot of moving parts, and you got to get all of them down there under oath and saying, what did you do? And what did you know? And when did you know? Well, thank you very much, sir. This has uh, been absolutely incredible. Um, did you have any closing thoughts or anything you want to plug before we wrap up here? Uh, we need a commission. We need a January 6th commission. We need the Congress needs to have these people have subpoena power. And and that's one thing. And I hope that the FBI and the Department of Justice 
you know, I know they have to look at it as a legal analysis and they have to pinpoint everything in terms of legal stuff, but I hope that they understand that this was a military attack and understand it as a military attack and not to be buffaloed by these defense lawyers who go, so where's the plan? You know, what was the, what was, you know, as, 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 as one of the lawyers said, you know, so what's, what's the plan? What was the uh, timing and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And when I showed you, when I put that figure 15 up on the board and, 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 and other things, you could actually diagram this attack on the front and back of a napkin. Okay. That's the plan. Yeah. You don't need, you don't need a hundred page hop order. Mm-hmm. You know, the plan could have been on the front and back of a good sized napkin an eight and a half by 11 sheet of paper back and front. And you're going to have the whole plan done in, you know, probably in iterations. But if you're sitting there talking to a national leader, you can come up with a plan that fits on one sheet of paper. Easy. Well, certainly too, since it seems like they were looking at the Proud Boys to do a lot of heavy lifting. I mean, you know, these are street brawlers. You're not going to give them some elaborate battle plan to execute. Exactly. You know, exactly. I mean, the Proud Boys do what they did. They did, you know, they're street brawlers. And what they did is they breached the building, but they also did not go headfirst into uh, knocking out the police. That they didn't do. Their mission was to breach the building. Their mission was to get to the Senate chamber and disrupt it. And their mission was to get to the back door and get the Oath Keepers into the Senate chamber. That was their mission. And the, and the Oath Keepers were sitting on the back door, waiting for that door to open so that they can make a dash into the Senate chamber. That's, that was their mission. And you don't have to have a hundred page op order to pull this off. Absolutely. Well, I hope you guys have all enjoyed this as much as I have. Uh, this discussion has just been fantastic. And uh, hopefully this will put a entirely different perspective on the events of January 6th, which uh, is going to be crucial to understand in the days going forward. And with that, I will sign off for now. As always, good night and good luck to you all.